Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at it again, back at the boot camp, no longer in Bob Bickford's presidential suite. I hope you're ready for the next episode, Bob, as we have now gotten back from the the cold frontier of Alaska and back in our normal climates. Have you adjusted back to normal life after Alaska? Absolutely. I've I've enjoyed the, uh, I will say this, Alaska was gorgeous and beautiful. Man, really? It was not that cold, man. It was actually colder in St. Louis when I got back. And it was, it felt colder. You know, Alaska, we had the beautiful sunshine and it was just gorgeous. And, and maybe that was it. But then I returned to the cold, damp, dark gray of St. Louis and I was miserable for a couple of days. And then yesterday, Jimbo, Barb and I went on a a long convertible ride, or I guess it was the day before, and played our 80s music, you know, just kind of reliving uh, some some good times. So there we go. I'm having a good time here, and uh, it's sunny this afternoon. So nice. Good to be back in the loo. Yeah, it's, it's good. It was definitely not colder in Florida when no. I returned than in Alaska, but it was surprisingly not as cold as I thought it was going to be while we were in Alaska. And I would say if you're wanting to visit Alaska, and you don't live somewhere where it snows very often, like me, then I think the end of March, beginning of April, may be the best time for you to go because it's really not painfully cold. There's still snow everywhere, but it's not tourist season yet, and so you're not overwhelmed by tourists everywhere the whole time that you're there. That's a great word, and I think I'm, I'm super thankful for the, the partners we got to meet there. Randy Covington from the Alaska Baptist Resource Network. He and Jimmy and mm-hmm. uh, what's Jay? Jay is up there as well. And uh, some of the pastors. And yeah. so it was, it was a lot of fun. We got to see some beautiful sites. Got to eat some good food yep. while we were up there. And I will say this, Jimbo, that is one heck of a long plane ride back. Oh my gosh, yeah. To the Midwest and specifically to the East Coast for you. Ooh, it was brutal. I left at 1.30 in the morning, left Anchorage at 1.30 in the morning, and arrived home around 9 p.m. Now, there's time difference in there, and so 1.30 Alaska time is 5.30, so 5.30 a.m. to 9 p.m. I was in an airplane or an airport, and so the, the funny part to me was the ride from Anchorage to Seattle and Seattle to Atlanta. I had this huge group of Cajuns that were... <laughs> That were working on ships up in Valdez, and man, those those were some big old boys, and they were very loud, and it made me understand why some people don't take to Cajuns. Like I love Cajuns; those are my people. But <laughs> at one thirty in the morning, I, I I was not I was not a fan of the guy yelling obscenities behind me when they told him to put on a mask. I would expect not. And he and you took a picture of him and showed it to me. He was a big old boy, man. He was uh, looked like a, a defensive lineman that could rip your head off. And I would be, I might be humored by him, but probably not at one thirty in the morning in, in a small enclosed space. He was big enough. I was definitely not going to complain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now on my last leg home from, so I went from Anchorage 
to Seattle, Seattle to Detroit, Detroit to St. Louis. I just have to tell you, Jimbo, I, I think I wanted to cry the entire way from Detroit to St. Louis because I was just so tired. I think that's that's kind of my state of mind. I just yeah. I just wanted to cry. That's that's what I felt like. <laughs> I, I slept for ten hours when I, when I got home and still felt tired. But but I really I enjoyed meeting so many different pastors. Yeah, Wasilla and in Kenai and hearing their hearts. And so uh, I even met a, a listener or two while we were there, and hopefully gained a few more. Yeah, uh, with some guys that we met. And God's doing some neat stuff in Alaska, and I'm excited to see what maybe we're able to do in with our partnership there as it expands. Absolutely more to come. And maybe we'll get one of those guys on the boot camp with us. And uh, Alaska is no joke. If you're going to minister there, man, you, you got to be in yeah, and you've got to feel it and you've got to be all about it. And so we heard some really cool stories of guys that were called to Alaska Mm-hmm. And one one guy, two guys that I talked to, one one just got in his car and pointed it towards Alaska and started driving. And another guy sold his house, loaded up his family, and went there with no job, no house, no anything. And he and his wife just felt like they were called to Alaska. They're still there to this day. They've been there a number of years. Wow! And it, it's that level of commitment to uh, that, that that really is is what helps a guy stay up there and his wife stay up there. But man, we've met some really cool folks. And it was a beautiful place. And so uh, excited to see what God's doing up there. Well, that leads me to our topic for today, because these guys really demonstrate what we call pastoral grit. Uh, A lot of these guys have stuck through some hard things. They've told us in Alaska that they measure how committed you are or how bought in or or really there you are by how many winters you've survived. Like if you ask a guy, how long have you been in Alaska? He'll tell you how many winters he's been there because you got to have some serious grit to, to get through an Alaska winter. And fortunately, I've not traveled there during the dead of winter yet. But it's it's one thing, like we have talked about before, the difference between uh, a high tolerance for pain or just perseverance in general and grit. And Angela Duckworth says that grit is a combination of passion and perseverance for a singularly important goal. And she says that's the hallmark of high achievers in every kind of domain. And she's found scientific evidence to that fact. And we recently had Mark Halleck on here when we were in the Bob Bickford exclusive presidential suite at the Omni. And he talked to us about the importance of perseverance and described perseverance to us. And and so with that idea of grit being the combination of passion and perseverance, I thought it'd be great for us to talk today about the importance of passion in your leadership. I love that. And as I think about the seasons in my life of replanting, there was certainly a passion for the call and the commitment to see the church in a better to a better future that God had for it. But I can tell you, Jimbo, honestly, there were moments in that pursuit of that that I felt dispassionate because it was so hard, right? And you catch me on a Monday, or you catch me after a conflict, you catch me after a bad thing. It's like, man, I barely had a passion to get out of bed. <laughs> it's just like, but I think there's there's a I think you have to to as I think about passion, I think about like a, a white hot fire that can melt something. Mm versus a campfire that's just got glowing red embers that just have this deep 
warmth to them. And I think there's there's passion is both, right? It is both of those things. And so I am thankful to have a perspective on passion that it can be that white hot intense flame, but it can also be that deep glowing warmth that is just so strong and steady. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you even bringing up fire because I love the the John Wesley quote, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come for miles to watch you burn, which has always been an interesting quote to me and the idea of the importance of passion and leadership. And I, I was reading recently and our buddy Huggy Halleck, happy Huggy Halleck, Triple H, wrote in one of his books commenting on that quote from John Wesley, people long to follow passionate leaders in the church in the same way that heat-seeking missiles follow fire. Mm -hmm. As for those of us called to revitalize a dying church, passion is is a priceless aspect of our leadership. You know, it is so hard to revitalize a church or replant a church if you don't have a passion for doing it. It's going to eat you up, and that's why it's so important. I think about Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So true, man. And I think Paul's acknowledging there that there are moments in our lives when when we are not zealous for the things of God or for the mission, and there's something that has to happen in us to restoke that and to rekindle that in some ways. And so we might be catching some guys right now that feel like they've been through a driving rainstorm and are sitting in a flood of water, right? And so what I would want guys to know is, man, passion is not something that you just try to create yourself, like the sense of internal excitement that you try to find the switch and flip it, right? There's just, if that's how you get passion and maintain passion, you're probably going to struggle and it's going to suffer. But there's something deeper in the sense of the passion that the Lord puts in you through you know, just through his work in your life and through the vision that he gives you and the, the moments that you are filled with his vision, not your own, where you begin to see some things that you bend, your heart begins to say yes, and your hands and your feet and your arms get strong for the for the task, right? So I, w- I want to say to the guy that feels like he can, you know, it's all he can do maybe to do the Wednesday prayer meeting to th- this week or to, you know, get ready for Sunday. Like, hang in there, brother. Like, if you're trying to stoke your own passion for, for the church and for the call that God's you know placed upon your life there, then you gotta you gotta let the Lord renew that in you. And if it's only based on your ability and your energy to keep it going, you're gonna struggle. Yeah, I think there's a big difference between contrived passion and cultivated passion, right? And when Ooh, it's good, yeah. When we're struggling, there's a temptation to contrive it and 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 get up there and be high energy and and act like we're super excited about things that we're not super excited about and man i don't know i don't i don't think that that's a good pat now if you're in a bad mood you don't need to broadcast that you're in a bad mood necessarily but you don't necessarily you also don't need to to lie and and be like i'm so pumped i'm so excited yeah. Or even do the, the youth pastor thing where everything is awesome, right? This isn't the Lego movie, right? And you're like, this this Friday night, we're going to have the most awesome hangout night. Come hang out with us. Yeah. Like, not everything is the most awesome, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so I think it matters where and how we cultivate our passion, right? And so if you're struggling with passion, I've shared this story on here before. You talk about the Wednesday night prayer meeting. I'll never forget 
the, I mean, the worst Wednesday of my entire ministry career ever. And I was leading a Bible study and I definitely did not have a contrived passion, but I was going through it and I was teaching the study and I, I had already prepared it. And a question I'd written, it was, what is your next step of obedience? And this lady in the Bible study looks at me and goes, pastor, what's your next step of obedience? And, and normally I'm a pretty calculated guy and I have a pretty good filter but my filter, I was I was so tired and down. My filter did not work. And I, without even thinking, I immediately responded, my next step of obedience is not resigning tonight. <laughs> You've shared that story. I could just imagine the looks on the faces in the room. Well, nobody said a word. Like, it was just like dead silent. It got real serious right then, man. Real serious. I let it sit for a second, and then I said, okay. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Prayed, and then I went home, man. And and so I would ask you, Bob, what I mean, what would you say to a guy in that situation? I mean, how do you, when you don't have passion and you're done, you're tired, and it's been too many winters in Alaska, or it's been too many hard Wednesday nights, or it's been too many bad business meetings or whatever it has been, what would be your advice be to, to that guy on how to cultivate his passion. Yeah. I think maybe I would say, first of all, clarify first before we cultivate, like let's get real clear. Is your season of ministry completed in that location? Right. And I think that's the question I would want to start with. And there are seasons where, and I mean, I had this, a guy asked us this in a meeting, I think it was at the MI replanter at New Orleans. He said, so is my call as a replanter, is it only one of two outcomes? Is it to, you know, get this church to take positive steps forward and move in the right direction and grow? Or is it to make the courageous decision to close, right? Because those, those two poles. And I said, well, Maybe, but I said, maybe there's a, there's one in the middle where your responsibility is to shepherd faithfully during a season where you don't really see much happening at all. Right. And I think that's what I would ask a guy, man, if you, if you are continually battling passion, is it periodic? Is it enduring? Is it momentary? Is it, you know, are you just, where are you at on it? Is it just still, you know, every day, like, from week after week, day after day, right? If that's the case, then I think you need to get some clarity on is God, has is your ministry done there, right? And because I, I don't know that you can wake up every morning for a long season in your life and persist in ministry unless you are called to do that, right? So get clear about it. Yeah. Then I guess if we're talking about you are clear about it and you got to cultivate it, then one of the, the first things I think you have to do is you got to get back into the word and you've got to let God fill up your heart and your spirit. And because if you're, if you're ministering on empty, you can, you can be faithful and preach faithful exegetical sermons and they can be excellent and great and all of those sorts of things, but there's going to lack that heart and that passion, that, that sense of the spirit moving in you. So I think I would just say, man, you got to cultivate your, your time with God and in his word and first be renewed by him before you try to work for him. I appreciate you bringing up the uh, importance of clarifying. I would add to that, if you're really burned out, you may not be in a place where you can gain that clarity yourself. Right. And you may need some outside perspective from a loving mentor, uh, brother, pastor, associational leader, state convention worker, ministry mentor of some kind. 
that can ask you good questions, hard questions, and kind of push in and help you help you discern, get some wise counsel to help you get clarity on that. And then as far as cultivating, you you likely, I mean, I would I would say 99.9% sure you got to get something off your plate temporarily at least, mm-hmm. right? So in order to make room for you to cultivate passion, because likely what's happened is you've not managed your time well, or there's just literally way too much going on and you've not had healthy rhythms in your life. And so I would say, let's put in the show notes links to some of the episodes where we've talked about time management and we've talked about mm-hmm. healthy rhythms in your life. That's ways to preempt and, and, to mitigate burnout is manage your time well, have healthy rhythms built into your life that help serve you well in that. But you probably need to take a couple weeks off. One of the ways I've counseled guys is I've said, hey, you probably have a rhythm for how many Sundays in a row you can be the primary preacher before it becomes a burden. Mm-hmm. And what I've found in talking to a lot of guys is that's usually somewhere around six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. About, six, about every six to eight weeks, here's what I say, figure out a way to build in one Sunday off of preaching. Not necessarily off like as in you're not at church, but one Sunday where you're not preaching every six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. It's raising. It's, maybe you need to raise up some guys. Maybe you need little preacher boys that you're raising up and you're teaching how to be pastors. And maybe your associational help can be, maybe you use the replant hub and you let somebody guest preach via video through that. But find a find a way to every figure out your rhythm, right? What is it in the way that God's wired you? How many weeks in a row can you preach before it starts to get too heavy? And and all of a sudden it's it's not giving life, it's taking life. And and chances are that's a pretty repetitive rhythm for you. And you need to figure out what that is and build in margin and ways to to be able to not not you don't need to be preaching fifty two Sundays. A year mm-hmm. you need to you need to figure out how to share that burden with some people absolutely great advice i i think you know we're getting ready to start a baseball season here and and being in st louis that's a big thing and there's a pitching rotation and so your starters who are excellent are part of a pitching rotation right and they watch their pitch count and the older they get the velocity goes down and so they have to learn how to pitch in a different way Right. And so I think most of the replanters we talk to, Jimbo, are probably younger than me and some are probably younger than you. And so they're full of like life and excitement and energy and us uh, encouraging them to take a break. It sounds maybe a little strange to them, but I think they'll be better for it. And and particularly one of the things I would say, too, is you're one of the things I've learned since I've not been preaching on a regular basis for the first time in nine plus years is I really like the weekends a lot and it's a different feel to have a weekend off on a regular basis. And I remember when I had a couple of guys that were preaching for me, it was so nice to have a, a Saturday off and not have that sermon hanging over you. But then man, Jimbo, I'd go to church and I'd be like excited that the guy was preaching well. And then I'd be fired up and ready to preach next week because I'd had some rest. Absolutely. And and so figure out a way to do that. If you need help thinking through how to do that, reach out to us and we'd love to talk to you about how to do that. Because here's the deal. Passion is important. Without passion, perseverance is just trudging through. And with passion, it becomes grit. And grit grows you, and it can help you lead your church to a healthier place. Passion is contagious. Man, especially when you're passionate through difficult circumstances and you display 
pastoral grit, it is contagious. And you'll see other people catch that that vision, that excitement for what God is doing in your church. And it can inspire hope in people. And where just sticking it out, I've known pastors that just stick it out for a really long time. And when you meet their church members, they are not hopeful people. <laughs> but if you've got a passionate leader, then you will lead hopeful people. Yeah, they're fa- they can be faithful people, mm-hmm. obviously, and, and compassionate, but not filled with hope. And so I think a lot of the 80 plus percent churches that are plateaued and declining, perhaps some of our brothers have just lost their passion. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because one of the reasons why they've lost their passion, man, they've taken so many hits over the years that they just they're basically trying to wait. They're like a boxer waiting to the 15th round. Right. The bell's going to ring sometime. And they're just their job is to stand up and keep taking it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where, you know, the the capacity for suffering, you know, when when we did get that right in the book, that portion of it was. Yeah, you've you've got to be able to take a lot of hits, but I think when you've when you have added the the idea of you have to have also this grit about you that doesn't just you know always just suffer. You've got to move forward. You've got to have passion. You've got to see a better future. And so I would say to the guy that's just feeling like he's in, waiting for the bell, man, do what you can. Maybe contact your uh, associational leader. Talk to your deacons, your elders, and and tell them you need a break, step away, and get some clarity on that. Maybe take four weeks off if you can, uh, especially as you've been slugging it out for years, and just try to get some perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important also to remember that we've got to be passionate about the right things. We've got to be passionate about the gospel, not our platform. Mm-hmm. We've got to be passionate about God's word and not our own wisdom and our clout or our influence. We've got to be passionate about God's bride, the the local church, and the people that are there. Not the people that you want to be there, but the Mm -hmm. people that are there. The people that God has given you to shepherd. You need to be passionate about those people. And you need to be passionate about the lost, the the lost that are around your church. And you need to be passionate about your community. I've met pastors who talk down about the community that they live in. They, They talk about how it's the bad part of town, or it's the... Uh, we don't have anything here. Or, man, figure out a way to make sure that you're passionate about that community. Maybe you're passionate about helping it improve. Maybe you're passionate about seeing it become a better community, a safer community, a more family-oriented community, whatever it is. But you don't speak negatively about your community. Be be an advocate for your community. Speak up for and help your community. Make sure that you're passionate about the right things. Absolutely. We can develop a counter passion, right? And a, a counter passion, all the things that you've listed there are priorities. I think that Jesus has called us as under shepherds and Christ followers to, to be passionate about, passionate about the lost, about the Lord, all those things. A counter passion is something that competes with the primary passions that Jesus calls us to. So it could be sports, it could be leisure, it could be uh let's say a cultural issue. It could be a, just one ministry, right? One kind of ministry, one type of ministry. And so sometimes you you will see Christians and pastors that have developed a, a side passion. It's not a bad thing sometimes, but it's just, it's not the best thing. It's not the primary thing. And so 
if you are not pursuing the things that Jimbo just listed, that you just listed there, Jimbo, in the gospel, God's word, the church, the lost in your community, and you're more passionate about some side thing, mm. it might be time to think about that and yeah. and discern that. It's not that this thing, you can, it's not a, a bad thing, but it's it's not the primary thing. And so I think it's worth examining what is what are the things that you're passionate about in your life and are they the primary things or are they secondary things? Get them in the right order, get them in the right priority, and then pursue them, but pursue them with with a scriptural lens and, a, and an obedience lens. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, we'd love to hear from you, especially the guys we just met in Alaska. Reach out, let us know. Man, what can we talk about that'll help you and serve you as you are serving dying churches? We're so grateful for you. Hey, we want to let you know about uh, a moment where you could join me and Bob live and in person in Alpharetta. Replant Summit coming up in August, August 29th and 30th, replantsummit.com. If you go there, you'll see all the details and you can register. And we have a limited number of hotel rooms to provide for the first people who register. And so I would encourage you to go ahead and do that. Register for you and your wife. Bring your wife with you if you can. There'll be some good breakout sessions for your wife. And so I think you'll be grateful that you came. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.